This Institute of Ideas podcast is called Zaha Hadid, Her Life and Legacy, and was recorded at the Battle of Ideas 2016 at the Barbican in London. This is a session not uh, typical to the Battle of Ideas. Normally there's panel debates with heady discussion and argument and uh, feistiness. Uh, that may come up, um, but in general this is a in conversation taking a look at the life and legacy of Zaha Hadid's work. Zaha Hadid, who's uh, you know even known by one of the names, not uh, you don't have to use both, like Bardot or Monroe. Uh, these things work for Zaha. Even my mother knew who Zaha Hadid was. Uh, she has a hard job knowing who I am when I come home. But, uh, but actually, Zaha Hadid splits opinion. It is fair to say that, in my opinion, there was a lot of, uh, in some ways, sycophantic uh, testimonial when Zaha died by people who subsequently had been critical of her work. So there's a strange uh, thing for me, but I don't know whether Patrick agrees with me on this. But it, in, in this discussion, we want to just take a look at some of the work, some of the controversies, uh, and some of the ambitions uh, that were um, uh, within her organization that Patrick now uh, is director of. Patrick Schumacher, uh, you, maybe you all know, um, has been known to talk ad nauseum about subjects using words that nobody's ever heard of, but I have briefed him to simplify it a little bit for me um, and keep the answers quite short because we want to try and do maybe half an hour presentation, half an hour for you to give your views, comments and observations, yes? You are allowed to be critical. I know that Zaha is dead and you're meant to respect that, but actually uh, you are allowed to be a little bit critical if you so are so minded. So what I'm going to do is just uh, take a few issues uh, and see what Patrick's reflections on them are. The first one, I suppose, just looking at this photograph, which is a really beautiful photograph of Zaha, um, is that she never really made great play, as I understand it, of being a woman. And at the moment, we have this major campaigns everywhere you turn on women in architecture, on equal rights, on getting more women involved in architecture. So I just wanted to get your view on you know, what she made of that type of discussion and what her views on the subject were, if you could reflect on it. Well, she certainly resented to be called uh, one of the great women architects or the great, greatest women architect in, in, in the field. She took that as slight, and she, 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 that kind of qualification is truly not, uh, uh, I think, to the point. Because she, uh, irrespective of her gender, obviously, she made a big impact and was a, a, one of the great innovators and figures in the field. And so she resented that, always being categorized. She resented also this search for uh, sources in her work, the particular originality and, and, and uh, repertoire she developed and style she developed. Um, there was this attempt to, to find sources in her femininity, in her, and, but also sources in her cultural background, in, in her Arabic upbringing and so on. So she wasn't into that. And I think she was right to resist both of these uh, attempts to explain her and or, or, or locate her in the field. Um, she did sometimes collaborate with the, with, with the notion that architecture is more of a male-dominated uh, profession and that maybe was more the case uh, when she started. So uh, and uh, so reflecting on how she made her path, that that was perhaps more difficult. Uh, and I think there was a truth in this also. Uh, you know, when when you started being your own author and and business 
representative and leader in, in, in the world of developers and, and clients that was slightly uh, tougher stance. Also, she sometimes mentioned she's in part of the networking um, circles which often uh, distribute jobs in clubs and mm -hmm. similar conditions. Uh, so she wasn't part of that. Uh, and she reflected and admitted that this this uh, to, uh, was uh, maybe not so easy. But I think she also recognized that this is no longer true, and and that these difficulties have been overcome or disappearing, and have been disappearing for quite a while. So I think that was her position. Uh, she didn't. Uh, yeah, she was critical of 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 and resisting to talk too much about this topic, to be honest. Okay, stop um, talking then. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, but uh, what we're going to do is just flag up some issues, right? So we're going to try and go through maybe four or five or six topics, give you a flavor of Zaha and what Patrick also thinks, so you can then come back on it. Yes, so we'll, we'll lay that Can I tell you rest. what I think about this? No, 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 you are, you're channeling uh, Zaha's uh, spirit. No, so look, we're going to go through a couple of pictures. Um, we're going to start with uh, the Vitra which I kind of think is probably the, you know, uh, the origins of her work, 1981, her first public commission. Um, and in some ways, it's, it, as we say, like she's loved or hated, there's something about this building that has been criticised as either n not working very well or people didn't like to use it or the, you know, the, the harshness of the structure. How do you see it from your own point of view but also from the practices point of view? Yes, there's been, uh, not only with this building, but a few other buildings like Maxi, there's been the presumption or suspicion uh, yeah, this that this is an approach to architecture which is disrespectful of practicalities, the initial purposes for these buildings, and just treats these buildings as excuses to, to develop an artistic venture and spectacle and... And I think that's something she resented, that's something we resent, I resent. But one has to add one qualification to this. This building in particular, the first building, let's say, of Saadid architects and Saadid of note, um, was, of course, an opportunity to create a manifesto statement about new possibilities in architecture, a new language of architecture. So it is pointing beyond itself and the meaning and purpose and power of this building isn't that it is the best fire station in the world. It's a, it's a fire station for uh, a factory, so it's something rather uh, unimportant and secondary as a program, but it became an important moment in the history of architecture, I think, for us and for... Uh, is perceived like this, similar to the, maybe the Riedfeld House, or Haus Schröder of Ger Gerhard Riedfeld is not being judged by the fact that it is a perfect family domicile for the, for the Schröder family. But... At the same time, I would argue that the way we developed this project as a manifesto project was also trying to demonstrate that this new language of uh, architecture is inherently interested in working with program, with function, with, with, the, with the functional process of this and any other building. But particular, So there are particular elements and aspects uh, which... I could start talking about in detail, but the way the, the um, you can see in the drawings, the uh, fire trucks pushed under that roof with the way the lines of the fire trucks drive through that, the way that was a very, very large open span, the way the ancillary 
functions connect into it and, and indicate straight lines of, of movement and access of the firemen, etc. So there is the particular figure was developed out of contextual and programmatic logics, which then translated with, a, with new degrees of freedom to represent and articulate these logics. So, so, so that's why it was hurting us, and we wouldn't admit that we just uh, abused the program to make, uh, to make an architectural statement. For us, architectural statements are always about, and the manifesto is also including new ways of recognizing and working with program and purposes. So that's why we resented that. And it was working perfectly well as a, as a fire station. And uh, the fact that it was later on closed, which was often cited against us, had nothing to do with the particulars of this building. It, was, it was, had to do with the, with the factory finding it more economical to, to let the uh, municipal fire uh, station service their, 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 their factory rather than having their own trucks and staff maintained. So this, okay. this, was, this was the point. Okay. Yeah. Just people... Can I have a show of hands? Who are architects or, de or want to be architects or, or designers who really think, <laughs> think they're architects? Hands up, architects. Hands up, non-architects who couldn't care less but just interested. <laughs> okay, good. Right, now we have a picture. Right, so that uh, curtails our language a little bit, yes? Um, let me just, since you mentioned the idea of manifesto and all the rest of it, this is a relief model um, of, of the same building. And then we come on to the Malovich stuff. So basically, Zaha wrote very widely, talked widely, gave lots of lectures about this as being one of the fundamental influences of her design ideas. I know that there were some criticisms, or con you had some arguments uh, about some of these things. So, but can you just, again, just talk about this kind of constructivist, suprematist school of the 1920s uh, in Russia and why it was so influential, why it was so important to you as a, as a practice? I think the context of Zaha's career is she started as a student in the early 70s and finished in the late 70s and then started her personal career in 1980 uh, but already had made a mark as a student based on retrieving some of the, the power and dynamism of, of suprematism. This was the period when modernism was challenged and in crisis and there was a search for new ways forward and the first anti-modernist way forward out of that perceived crisis was postmodernism. was going back into the history of motifs and styles and make architecture less monotonous and make it speak and diversify, allow it to be diversified by dipping into history and you, you create a kind of new historicism and um, so that was the, the immediate context. There was a movement against that, so it's a kind of anti-postmodernist movement, but at the same time accepting that the kind of monotony and sterility then perceived of mid-20th century modernism wasn't the way forward. So it was a look for having new and fresh and non-retrograde ways of picking up the, the idea of diversifying and enriching and making more complex architectural urban settings and also re-inhabiting re historic centers, but not with, 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 with historical citations, but with new elements, which allowed, for instance, in, in complex sites to have multiple angles come together where you, have, you build up complexity by overlapping uh, uh, spaces and interpenetrating maybe old and new or various spaces. So this was become a resource. Th those avant-garde of the early 20th century 
they have been in a similar position trying to find new ways for a new kind of society, for an industrial society after the uh, First World War. And they're proliferating and creating so many informal experiments, some of the, which were picked up and developed throughout the century. But there was an excess of experiments uh, through abstract art, which then could be dipped in again, and that was the initial source of what then became deconstructivism, but it very soon also went beyond that and developed out of this initial inspiration. Uh, it wasn't a retrograde or, or retro uh, approach, it was just an inspiration to do something much more forward-looking, and it was always consciously not a retro, uh, a retro approach, but an inspiration f to find certain features in suprematist painting and sculpture rather than in the architecture of the 1920s. The architecture of the 1920s was also inspired by abstract art but was a much, had a much more restrained vocabulary based on serial repetition, on, on, on maintenance of orthogonality, etc. So that was, that was the, the, the meaning, I think, uh, of that going into, into the, into the avant-garde again. <coughs> okay, you said orthogonality, so we have to move on. Uh, <laughs> right, uh, it was very nice actually seeing you uh, take a look at uh, the Malevich for the last five minutes. I don't think many people have looked at that black square <laughs> for such a long time. Um, I, I also put this picture up. This is the Cardiff by Opera House, which was supposed to be the first commission in the UK. I put it up because this is pre-computer, uh, this is, this is BC, isn't it? Before computers. Uh, <laughs> and it's such a horrible graphic that I thought I'd, I'd show it. Um, but this it is, is a, terrible. This is, yeah. a, uh, uh, this is know, the Hearts and Minds <laughs> campaign for the project. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, put some, <laughs> I put some new images in there of it. And this, this is, is more, my more sketches, yeah. This, this is, is yours, sketches. exactly. So uh, in terms of the Cardiff Bay Opera House, how was that, how was that taken? in the practice? I mean, the fact that, you know, getting the competition and then having it rejected, and I know was, there were some terrible headlines in South Wales newspapers. Uh, I hope my accent is not coming out here. I wasn't, I wasn't responsible. Well, but there were, there were many, many terrible uh, accusations within the press uh, in the time of this. So how was that taken as a, as a practice? I mean, uh, we took it perhaps differently. I mean, I was a young kid at the time. I, was, I wasn't so much upset about it because... Uh, at that time, we were we were proud and, and 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 happy to have won a major competition against a major lineup, and uh, we've been in the mode and mood, from my perspective, of generating uh, new ideas. We were in the business of a dear projection of 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 publishing and discussing new ways of designing. And for Zaha, it was a was a much harder shock because she was much more ready to start building. And this is the second loss of a major project. We had uh, two three years earlier. We had a major project in Düsseldorf where we had a proper client, a proper lined up, we won a competition. And that fell through because the, that corporation, uh, let's say, uh, folded or broke up before the building happened. So this was the second big opportunity. And it was very, very hurtful for Zahn. She, it was a setback in particular because she felt at the time that this was uh, directed against her from a parochial perspective. Um, I think there were an underlying politics actually, which got in the way as well, where where the sponsor of uh, Lord Krakow of that competition and of the Millennium Fund for this was somebody who had uh, made himself very unpopular in Wales. So she felt there was there were pro political processes uh, under uh, undercurrent there, which she had uh, no power over and no 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 dealings with. So she was she was very upset. Um, about this and f yeah 
felt that she was unwelcome, that the project was misunderstood, etc. Uh, right at the time of the Iraq War as well, wasn't it? Um, yes, you're right. That's yeah. the, one of the first, the first, the first Ira Iraq. The war. mother of all opera houses was the, <laughs> was the headline. The mother of all but, battles um, was the headline. In the, it was in the very press. frustrating for. I'm not sure if this. Uh, I was much. I was you were less, younger then. I was. I was also less uh, attributing it, taking it personally. I think she took it very personally. I'm not sure if she was right doing this. But okay, okay. Uh, I just wanted, just as an aside, this this uh, slide. Just taking a look at a couple of images, stylistically, formalistically. Yeah. Uh, you have uh, this one, you have this one. I was just wondering, is there, is there something in this? Is this just an accident of images? Is there something about this kind of forward-looking prow that you have going <laughs> in many of these buildings? <coughs> am, I just, am I being flippant? No, I think there is something about We're always interested in long-span structures and cantilevers and something. There's an element of heroism. You, know, you Also, you find that in in uh, some optimism, heroism, high performance, just showing capability and strength. There is a little bit of muscle flexing there. And it lifts the spirit. I think for me, it's always, I feel like this, when you see a long span, that's just power of lifting up a volume. This is idea of an anti-gravitation, uh, conquering gravity. There's some kind of thrill of uh, showing human potency and power. So it's a penis uh, reference. <laughs> Let's move on. Right. Perhaps. So, uh, perhaps. Just graphically, uh, I mean, this is very early Zaha's work. This is the Vitra again, which is kind of, as you pointed out, straight lines and, you know, the drama of those. And then you, you move on to this more kind of flowing concepts. What's, is this you? Uh, your influence? Well, I mean, no. what's, what's happened in the, in the interim? It's actually, uh, it's been in, been in, the, in, in her DNA of quite a long time, but, but it we drew it out more and we pushed it more and we had more, that was done computational techniques, developing it more, but we also uh, did this by hand. But if you have complex double curved surfaces and at play and make everything fluid and, 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 and curvilinear, we discovered that it is, makes it easier to maintain legibility in the face of complexity. If you have complex and independent many forms, you can track them better than just, they're all kind of like splinters Interpenetrating, you, you you get more traction and more elegance and beauty maintained in the face of complexity. That's why we move towards curves. Uh, but it's been actually in, in even in the late, in the early 80s, she's she's invested in in curvature and particular curvature, which was her thing, which was continuously changing radii. And she made this incredible move of the rapid hand movement when it speeds and turns and pulls and 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 kind of ripples across the page generates a lot of uh, rhythm, a lot of coherency through the physics of that uh, move, which which you can give uh, logic, order, and and poise to to a drawing, and rather than, and that's very unique, one of her unique moves, mm -hmm. rather than translating all curves into arcs, which become very static, and nobody has done that before. Even somebody like a modernist Niemeyer, who started to work with curves, every, all the curves are rationalized into arcs in the end, or maybe a, sometimes a paraboloid. But, but, so there's a, that's a new level of the freedom and the versatility in the repertoire which, which, which okay. we cherish. Okay. I mean, I'm not really going to raise in my questions about parametrics <coughs> and, uh, because we wouldn't be able to stop you, but maybe there will be questions uh, from the audience. I'm just going to look at a couple of, as I say, topics which have uh, uh, blighted Zaha 
I mean, it's tough for me because I, I'm, I'm used to developing ideas. Instead, I have to kind of make snap comments now. Exactly. <laughs> but I'll try, I'll try. Exactly. So, look, so take a look at this. This is your, developing this a is thought. project in, in Baku. This is, you, this is your answering for 30 years uh, of work. Mm. Uh, uh, this is Baku, and uh, Zaha has been very determined in not apologizing for things which other people feel kind of maybe, you know, they, they distance themselves from. So at a time when lots of people in the West were saying we're not going to work in Libya at the time of the Arab Spring and all the rest of it, uh, we're not going to work for, for, for totalitarian regimes, here you are in, in Azerbaijan uh, doing these kind of grand, grand projects. So again, uh, do I have another clip? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily that China is comparable or whatever. Well, but but, uh, but to be honest, people have been talking about. Uh, oh, how can you, yeah? He he, he was one of them. Yeah. There were others who said you shouldn't work in China because it's a non it's not a democratic system. It's dictatorial. Yeah, we, so there what, was a lot of that. So flag. how do you determine your ethical stance on architecture? Well, I mean. Actually, I was encouraging and bolstering Zaha in her position to say, uh, to uh, defend going into these territories and being part of the development of a process in China, in, in, in Central Asia, in the Middle East. And it's, it's, uh, it's really uh, ludicrous and fallacious to write off all these territories. I mean, that's also uh, dishonest, I think, from, from, from a lot of um, those critics who, who live in a, in a globalized world and, and, and participate in, a, in, in the benefits of a, a world division of labor and consuming Chinese products all day. I mean, that, that needs to be reflected. And I don't know what the implications is of boycotting these, these regions. Is, makes, no, makes no sense. So that had to be made clear. And I think when we came into these territories and, and the kind of projects we're doing, we f felt and feel them to be progressive. Cultural institutions, uh, even, you know, this is a cluster of startup companies, mixed-use uh, complexes with a new spirit of urbanity and, and modernity in, in, in China, but also in Azerbaijan, a, a cultural center which, which has been uh, a beacon of development where bring, bringing, bringing uh, cultural, cultural uh, events into into a city which would otherwise be more isolated. So I think that can be defended, must be defended. And uh, um, there were many yeah. there were many critics of going to China, architects who would never get a chance of getting a commission in China. <laughs> it's very easy for them to be kind of ethical about it maybe. But uh, but in terms of uh, China, uh, we have this is your Soho project again mm -hmm. in in, uh, in Beijing. Uh, and this is uh, the copycat version in Chongqing. Uh, so this, this was actually completed just before your... So, so just so you understand, this is Zaha's, uh, Zaha's uh, designs, and this is uh, a Chinese developer who just stole the idea and built this slightly cheaper version uh, in another city in the middle of China. So what's your... Is this, a, is this an honor for you? Uh, I'm very relaxed about this, and for me it is perhaps an honor and... Um, I'm I'm not faced by this at all. And it's a bloody awful building. Zaha was slightly more critical of epigons and and sometimes tempted to criticize other and she felt to be uh, copied X Y Z. And I said, don't do that. You know, yeah, let, yeah. let it happen. Um, this is this is influence you should be proud of. I mean, this is an extreme version, but but of course there's there is uh, I believe and I think. Shinian also accepts, of course, that there's a movement of 
multiple authors and, and creators uh, integrating in, 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 in a network of influences where she, we received as much influence as, as we giving influence and that needs to be recognized. And uh, it's never a good idea to, to be possessive about, okay. I think, ideas. Uh, I, I flipped this image just so it fitted better. <laughs> if anybody's trying to read the Chinese, it's uh, backwards. Um, so in terms of this project, your Baku project again, look at it, memorize it, and then you have this one, which mm. is Mayan Song's project. So again, uh, one is a, you might call a gratuitous copycat, and this is, what, maybe a more respectful one, or is this a... No, I think that's, that's what I think, that that's part, he's part of um, a movement which I, which I appreciate, and... Uh, you try something in different versions in different ways. We also copy ourselves in inverted commas, and we are also picking up ideas from others. Uh, this is Mai Sung. He was a, a student of ours and uh, worked within the office. And um, I respect his his work. I mean, um, and we can also then see, uh, learn from his failures if there are issues and problems. And also, so I know we're totally. Okay with this. I'm not. I'm not into. All right. Cool. Cool. That's fine. Uh, but a lot of architects are getting into into absolutely. it and getting possessive about it and starting to sue each other or threaten to sue each other. I think it's it's very childish. Well, there's big discussions about copyright. There's big discussions about plagiarism. Uh, Which I don't believe in, by the way. Don't I don't believe, believe don't even. I even. I'm even critical of intellectual property rights. Good. What about students? Uh, Copying no, we, have, we, we promote open source, totally open source between students and not this kind of holding back. And the problem yeah, is oftentimes... What about students copying essays? Copying essays? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Okay, fine line. It's maybe going too far, too far but I think there's a, there's a strange uh, obsession about plagiarism which is becoming kind of vindictive and problematic. Uh, I, I tend to agree. Right, this project, uh, Port House in Antwerp, um, I just read here, Owen Hathaway uh, described it as a gigantic phallic insect <laughs> mounting and seemingly raping a neoclassical building. Uh, I don't suppose that was in your, in your brief, but uh, <laughs> what about contextualism? What about, you know, how, does, how do you see this building? I mean, how did you come up with this building? But how do you see this building? in a context which many people may not see it as being con the best contextual. Well, I mean, that's one of the many examples where we show that we can integrate our buildings with historical fabrics, and you can criticize the way we've done it here. We've done it in Rome, we've done it in, in Hyde Park, we've done it in many other places. And uh, But I think there is, of course, it's an unusual condition. This is the harbor. And right behind it, you have ma massive landscape of industrial sheds, cranes, ships. So we, not to totally disappear in this context, we created this gesture. And what is interesting about it, it's on axis, it, it announces the harbor, it's, it's, it's uh, also the, the offices are pushed up rather next to it, it's great for the harbor authorities, that's where the harbor authority sits, they can see and overview finally the, the territory they're in charge of, and the harbor at the very end, um, looking at the harbor, is the, is, the, is the chief of the harbor authority sitting. But also what you should remember is that if you go back to the other image, uh, uh, in, this, this, uh, in the central image, no, yeah, here, yeah. that there was originally, uh, was a tower was designed on this building, the original 19th century design, early 20th century execution, they had, they had a central tower 
marking the harbor building. So they wanted a, an announcement, and that would have been just a pure symbol and signal. So we, in the place of this, and there's actually an elevator going up precisely where the tower was, in the shaft of the tower, which was never built. So there is an element of contextual affiliation, meaningfulness with the spirit of that building, and also the idea of creating that courtyard underneath. Uh, anyway, so it's, I think it's not an arbitrary uh, violation. Uh, we feel that it's a synthesis of sorts, which I, makes sense. I thought, it and was so that's what the what the, that's what the client themselves thought. So in architecture is uh, articulating the purposes uh, of of institutions, which usually select the architect in a comp competitive process. The, the the harbor authority thought that this would represent their their institution and uh, purposes best. So you thought about it. For a long time. It's thoughtful. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. No, you have to see it. Otherwise, it's, otherwise it's not a good guy. Right. So, uh, just very quickly, um, Riverside Museum. It's interesting. The, I mean, the elevation is, is possibly the theme, or actually the aerial view of the roof is the most striking thing in terms of architectural magazines' reflection on this. And in terms of the plan, it's kind of... There's a, it's a very interesting. I don't like this elevator, this particular view. Uh, well, maybe that's why I chose you should it. actually. But, uh, but this is a glass wall, and when when the museum is on, you can you can see into it very very strongly, and you have this kind of converging and pulling lines that pulls you in, in in that perspective. I suppose my question is a bit kind of architecturally, uh, wondering what you see as the relationship between elevations and plan. How you how you actually develop your project? Well, I mean. Again, I feel this is a, it's embeds itself on that side and this promontory pushing into the water. It's, uh, we, the idea here is actually this is, this is, the zigzagging is railway shed. It's, an, it's a transport museum, so there's affiliation to purposes. And then this kind of S-shaped move gives an interesting but easy navigable uh, trajectory of, of, and, and movement through through a space where you don't have everything in one view, so you have a bit of a, but you can never get lost either. And at the end, that big window, the final exhibit is a ship outside here in the water. Um, so it, it, it's conceived in a, the dramaturgy of of the museum. Uh, it's also you, you the one elevation to begin with is lower, and it rises up to that moment of arrival with the big ship in the frame. So I think it's, and then the attempt, all the auxiliary spaces are tucked into the flesh of the building, like a porche, like traditional buildings, to focus totally on that major space and shape that, and everything else is kind of tucked away. And at the front there's another, the cafeteria and some other uh, spaces. So I think it's, uh, that's the way you order the elements into a clear, uh, purposeful diagram and experience, which focuses on the essential experience and movement and, and display. So I think that's the way this makes sense. And if you go there, uh, the experience is very well structured and clear, I think. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think my only point was to try and say, and you, you, you could say this about many buildings, but uh, I'm, we're, we're talking... This is a bit cartoon-like, this, this the particular elevation. I know, but yeah. the idea that, you know, that, that building and that plan, you would, you'd be very hard-pushed to get a second guess that that plan... Okay. The, was, okay, but you that, don't you don't uh, ex you experience as a, as a three dimensional object. True, 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 true. Uh, so just very quickly, just to round up. So this is Maxi. I'm just going to flick through these so we can yeah. have a brief chat. So here you have kind of one of the most emblematic buildings of of Rome at the moment of the contemporary period. You've got you've done opera houses in China. You've done ski resorts. You've done small local health centres. 
And then uh, we're now moving into Beijing, the biggest airport terminal in the world being built. Uh, we won't talk about Tokyo. And then, you know, you kind of do a range of stuff. Yes? So, uh, so are you specialists in all of them, or are you masters of none, or are you, uh, you know, how does this come about? Well, actually, this is something where, where I believe that, and Zaha believed, and so did actually the masters of the Bauhaus, the founders of modern architecture, which we still see as our, the refoundation of the field. We still feel ourselves to be part of that um, lineage, which starts with people like Mies van der Rohe and, and Walter Gropius, uh, Le Corbusier, and on and on. And they had the same spirit of uh, addressing urbanism, architecture, interiors, furnitures, product, textiles. It was all in the bowers, it was all uh, within their herbs, and that's the way we address. We, the built environment is a totality with all these elements, and the specialism are slightly artificial, yet, yes, to some extent, there's a drive and push to, to ever more specialization, but when you, we're at the forefront, at the frontier of innovation, we need to think these things together and think them through as a unified system of, of creating a built environment. And for me, all design is now infected by a new spirit of what I call you know, communication design and, and, and design all the built environment as well as fashion, the, the objects through which we surround ourselves are for me an interface of communication, structuring and premising human and social interaction, ordering social processes, so all of this participates, so all of this needs to be in within my ambit and, 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 and compass of an, of, an, of an intellectual leader of the field and of a creative leader of the field. Uh, and then uh, downstream, um, uh, with a le less ambitious, let's say, um, project, you can maybe specialize and do hospitals and so on, but then you're not a leader of the discipline, then, you, then you're executing... Uh, uh, on based on premises which you take for granted and apply them to particular situations. So I'm uh, I'm more ambitious than that. Okay. But I don't denigrate those which 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 do the hard work on the ground for in, in specialized situations. Okay. Uh, I'm just finishing. This is the last image when just after she died, uh, a really very nice, uh, respectful gesture on one of the building sites, mm. uh, putting up this uh, putting up this poster. Okay. I have a million and one other questions, but I'm not going to ask them. Can we have a round of applause for Patrick, please? Yeah.